Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Two or three years ago, a group of researchers surveyed a thousand moms in the UK. After their survey, they concluded that moms are the most quizzed people on the planet. In other words, they are the ones who are asked the most questions of anybody on the planet, said the surveyors, the researchers. They got to talking to them and figuring out what it was that happened in their lives day by day, and they concluded that their children ask them questions once every two minutes and 36 seconds. Every two minutes and 36 seconds, another question came down the pike. Mom, and then followed the question. They weren't easy questions either, as you mothers know. They further discovered that the most inquisitive people on the planet are four-year-old girls asking 390 questions a day. 390 the least inquisitive were nine-year-old boys. They didn't have much to ask. They'd already gotten it all figured out, I guess. The time when most of the questions came was at dinner time, when they would sit down to eat. Then the questions began to roll. Now, I want to give you an idea of what the questions were. The researchers asked them, what are the five hardest questions you're asked? You ready for this? Now, you who are in the field of science and you do research in science, piece of cake compared to these questions if you happen to be a mom. Question number one, the hardest question, mommy, why is water wet? <laughs> Second one, where does the sky end? Third, what are shadows made of? Fourth, why is the sky blue? And finally, how do fish breathe underwater? Kind of makes you crazy, doesn't it? You just want to ask moms, how in the world do you do it? All of these questions that keep coming at you, and the questions aren't even the worst of it. There are other matters that are even more challenging. Take as an example Maria Brunner of Poing, Germany. Maria had a husband who wasn't working and didn't appear to be overly interested in working. And so she was working to support their three daughters. Three of them, she worked many hours, overtime hours, just trying to put food on the table. Now her husband... I hope, was searching for a job. Must have been because he managed to run up quite an amount of money in unpaid parking tickets. There in their town, the parking tickets began to mount up. I don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't paying his parking. Now, the problem was the car was legally registered in Maria's name. And so when they came looking for the person to hold responsible for the equivalent U.S. dollars of $5,000 in unpaid parking tickets, they came knocking on Maria's door, knocking on her, her door, and they were ready and set to arrest her. Well, I want to read you what happened from the timesonline.co.uk of May 15, 2005. Here was Maria's reaction when they came to arrest her. She said, 
I've had enough of scraping together a living for the family. As long as I get food and a hot shower every day, I don't mind going to jail. <laughs> I can finally get some rest and relaxation. Police reported that when they went to arrest Maria, she seemed really happy to see us <laughs> and repeatedly thanked us for arresting her. While most people taken into custody hide their heads in shame, Maria smiled and waved as she was driven off to jail. <laughs> it gets me out of that. I don't know how moms do it. The demands come from every side, from every angle. The questions are never ending. In fact, this week, as I was thinking about the fact that tomorrow is Mother's Day, thinking about all the mothers among us, the mother of my children, my own mother, my heart swelled with gratitude and appreciation. In fact, with a question, how do you do it? I got to thinking back to my parents and to my mother specifically. And I wonder, Mom, how in the world did you do it? Four kids, not just on a pastor's salary, but on a mission pastor's salary, Raising four kids in foreign countries, how did you keep us in school, in clothes, in line? How did you do it, Mom? I knew the answer almost as soon as I asked the question. It's the answer that comes from almost every mother. The answer was simply this. Mom had a servant's heart. She had the heart of a servant. Moms all around the world match that heart. And for that, we're truly grateful. But also, that places us on course for what we want to talk about today, the question of service. Do you have a servant's heart? I sat down and began to jot out some questions that I thought might help us understand whether or not we have servants' hearts. I want to read you just a few of them. See if you can answer these questions about yourself, about your family, about your living situation. When you last went out to eat with friends, who was the first to reach for the check? What is the name of the person who cuts your lawn at home? When you last received your check from work, how much of it went to church or charity? At home, who takes out the garbage? Who carries the groceries from the car to the kitchen? Who clears the table after meals? Is that done on a voluntary basis? There could be many other questions we would ask. All of them are intended to get us to think about that reality. Do I have a servant's heart? A servant's heart. We're in a series of sermons entitled, The Next Step. In this series, our underlying question has simply been this one. What would it take for you to take the next step in your discipleship journey with Jesus? What would it take? Four sermons, four possible steps. Step up, step down, step in, and step out. Step up was our first week when the question was, how is your worship life? How is your life of magnifying and adoring and elevating God's name, praising him in the way you live and act? Maybe that's the next step. Second week, Pastor Joel preached an excellent sermon on the role of Scripture, step down. 
How's it going with your diving deep, digging deep into Scripture and applying it to your life? And today, the third one, step in. Are you willing, are you ready, are you prepared to step in to service? Whether it be serving this community or communities out beyond us, do you have a servant's heart? Now, we're going to look at Romans 12. Romans 12 is our passage for today. But before we begin to read Romans 12, I want to set a bit of of context, a bit of background, so that as we come to the reading of the passage, its full impact will be clear. Have in your mind a person who is a member of the body of Christ, a member of a community of faith like this one, a member of the church, and yet that person, though they are following Jesus, though they have become believers in him, they have not yet taken the step to become servants. They're not yet serving others, whether it be in the body of Christ or in the world around them. Paul, when he's writing to the Romans and he comes to this, he wants to talk to that person, recognizing that there are two different realities that might be keeping them from service. He addresses both of those. So as we approach the text, the first person we're thinking of is the person who, when it comes to service, says, I'm above that. I'm above all that. When you need a servant, don't look at me. It could be for any number of reasons. It could be that I've served too much in the past. It could be that I'm too educated, too wealthy, too rich, too handsome, too beautiful, too whatever. But whatever the case is, the bottom line is they say, I'm above that. So notice what Paul says to that person. Romans chapter 12, we read verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think of yourself. So to that person who says, when it comes to service, I'm above that. Don't come knocking on my door. Don't come ringing my doorbell. I gave at the office. I'm not interested in service. Paul says, wait, 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 wait a minute. None of us is above service. Don't think of yourself that highly as though you have somehow reached a pinnacle, an epitome that will not call on you to be a servant. He says, no, every one of us in the body of Christ is called to serve. There was a movie made 32 years, I think it was, or 33 years ago. I Googled it this week. I remember almost nothing about the movie. I remember the general plot line, and then I remember one line from the movie. The title of the movie was Volunteers. It starred Tom Hanks and John Candy. Tom Hanks was a rich kid. He had it all, and he knew he had it all. He thought he was all that. And yet somehow he ended up not through his own choice, having to go to a third world country, join the Peace Corps, and try to serve the people there in that location. Not what was on his agenda. I don't remember the movie, don't remember much of what happened, except I remember this one line that the Tom Hanks character spoke in referencing his attitude toward those people that as a Peace Corps volunteer he had come to serve. And here's what he said. 
He said, it's not that I can't help these people. It's that I don't want to. It is precisely that person to whom Paul writes. That person who says, it's not that I can't serve. It's that I don't want to. I'm above that. I'm beyond that. And Paul says, wait. Time out. No one is above and beyond that. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has given you. Another way of saying that, a way to paraphrase that is view yourself the way God views you. Have the estimation of yourself that God has of you, which is a healthy estimation. You're a value, but it is also an estimation that says you are a servant when you become a member of the body of Christ. To those who say, I'm above that, he says, no, you're not. Now, my parents, mom and dad, I'm sure, along the years, had a speech that they gave to us as kids that I have been very kind to pass on to our kids, and Anita has joined me in that as well. And I have a sense, I have a hunch that I'm not the only parent, nor is Anita, nor were my parents to give this speech. So let me ask you, at your home, has this ever happened, either the home you grew up in or the home you live in now? It's dinner time. And everybody shows up just when it's ready. Right when it's steaming hot on the table. Kids duck in at the last moment. Okay, let's eat. And then as soon as dinner is over, what happens? Disappearing act. Whew, what happened to the kids? Where did they go? They were just here. Gone. They've got pressing duties on their phones in the room. Now, in my day, it wasn't on the phone. It was some other thing. But it was equally pressing. And so I have tried to pass on the speech I inherited. You've given it. You know what it is. It goes something like this. Kids, we're a family. We're a team. What that means is we're not here to serve you. We're here to do this together. We're all going to learn service together. So you need to come earlier and you need to stay later. Do you know that the truth is we've had some great moments, maybe some of our best moments, cleaning the kitchen together, trying to learn service, trying to understand that nobody is above it, not in the body of Christ, not even in our homes. So my question to you is, how is that step going? How is your servant's heart? Are you developing a servant's heart? Maybe one of the best ways of answering that question, of assessing whether or not you're developing a servant's heart, is offered to us by Gordon McDonald, the writer, who says this. He says, the best way to know whether or not you are becoming a servant, best way to know whether or not you're becoming a servant, is how you act when you're treated like one. So when somebody treats you like a servant, how do you respond? How do I respond? Do we get our back up, get angry? Who are you talking to? Do you know who I am? I'm not your servant. McDonald would say, you're not doing so well on developing the servant heart. There's still a bit of that in me, a bit of that in you that says, I am above that. That's the first person to whom Paul speaks, writing in Romans 12. The person who, when it comes to service, says, I'm above it. And Paul says, no, you're not. Everybody in the body of Christ is called 
to serve. But there's a second kind of person that Paul may be dealing with, and so he addresses this person as well. This is the person who, when it comes to service, responds not by saying, I'm above that, but responds by saying, I'm beneath that. Oh, no, 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 don't look at me. I don't have any abilities. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any talents. Look at all of those other people. Go knock on their door. Go ring their doorbell. Go text them. They're the ones that can serve, not me. I have nothing to offer. I'm beneath that. And Paul speaks to them this way in Romans 12, starting with verse 4. He says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. In other words, we each have a gift or a set of gifts with which we can serve others in the body of Christ and in the community where God has placed us. So to the person who says to service, oh, no, I'm beneath that. I have nothing to offer. Paul says, no, you're not. Everyone in the body of Christ has been given a gift whereby he or she can serve others. It's tempting. It's very tempting, especially in a large congregation like this one, to look around at other people who are uniquely qualified and uniquely gifted and say, Uh, I can't do that. I'll just sit back here on the back row. It's uniquely tempting in a place like this to sit there and listen to chemo play the organ and say, no, 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 I can't, uh uh-uh. I'll sit back here. To sit and listen to, to, to Jordan Otis sing and say, I could never sing that way. There's no way I'm going to serve in this congregation. Or to listen to Pastor Doug tell the children, how about that children's story? Listen to him tell a children's story. I know what I'm saying. I'm not telling the children's story. It's a good thing there's something between that story and my sermon, so they may have forgotten by then. You know what the feelings? Or to listen, for heaven's sakes, to Giselle Roddy tell a children's story. I can't do that. It's tempting to make that the standard. See how gifted, see how talented, please. I'm beneath service. I have nothing to offer. And Paul comes along and says, actually, When you name the name of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus accesses or places within you a gift, an ability, a talent that he expects you to use for him. No matter what that might be. No matter what others might do. In fact, I'd like to share a story with you from a pastor named Miles McPherson. Pastor Miles writes a story about someone who could very easily have said, I have no gifts, I have no talents, I have no abilities, so go look somewhere else. Here's what he writes. I walked out of my office one morning, and a guy I had never met was just getting off the elevator. He was about 6'4", at least 250 pounds, and he wore cut-off jeans and a sweatshirt. His body was all tatted up. We walked down the hall together, and he told me he was going to his first ministry meeting, and he was really nervous. I asked, nervous? How come you're nervous? Pastor Miles, you always encourage us to do something, so I figured I got to do something. I want to serve the Lord. 
Since our church has over 100 outreach ministries, I asked him, what's the ministry you're joining? He said, the knitting ministry. <laughs> and then he thought a moment and he said, well, actually, I don't knit, I crochet. <laughs> Here's this huge guy who looks like he could be an NFL tackle and he's nervous about joining a ministry that makes blankets and hats for hospitalized children. Curious, I asked him, where did you learn to crochet? I was in the Hells Angels for 12 years, he told me, and I learned to crochet in prison. I know it's the one thing I can do for the Lord. Just then, the lady who heads up the knitting ministry walked toward us, said a quick hi to me, and then asked the former Hells Angel, are you Jim? She gave him a big grin and took his hand. I watched them go down the hall together. The ability to crochet may not seem like a unique ability, but when you package that with his life, the ripple effect can push countless others out of their comfort zone to step up and stand out in the way God designed them to. Imagine if Jim was worrying about what others would think about him crocheting for Jesus. How easy it would have been for him to say, I don't have an ability. I don't have a talent. I'm beneath service. But he said, there's one thing I remember doing in prison. Maybe I can do that here. Do you know we have a ministry like that in this church? Called the Quilters Ministry. It's been going for many, many years. A faithful group of largely women in our church gathered out there in our fellowship hall every Monday or two once or twice a week, and they're making quills, they're making blankets, they're making hats for the babies and the families up in our medical center. Hundreds of those quills and blankets and hats going to them on a regular basis. The very kind of ministry Jim joined. I can crochet, said the NFL-like tackle, for Jesus. So I want to ask respectfully, because I ask it of myself as well, so then, what is your excuse? What is my excuse? If Jim can crochet for Jesus, what about you? What about me? There are people who say, oh, no. When it comes to service, don't look my way. I'm beneath that. I don't have anything. And Paul says, actually, you do. Because Jesus has given to every member of his body a gift or a set of gifts to be used for his kingdom. So let me ask you, what's your next step? What will it take for you to take the next step with Jesus? It could be that the next step you need to take is the step of service. The step of being willing to say, I'm not above it, I'm not beneath it, I accept the gifts he's given me, and I will serve him both in his body and in the community where I live. Now, Paul is not done yet. He's going to add one more piece. He's not only speaking to one who may say, I'm above service, or one who say, says, I'm beneath service. He's also telling us how it is that we are to serve when we're members of the body of Christ, how we do it. He gives us two ways in which we're to do it. The first way, he says, is how do we serve? He says this, serve where you're gifted. Serve where you're gifted. Back to Romans 12, starting again with verse 6, we read this. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We know this is not an exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts. We know that because Paul has at least two other places and other writers have other places where many other gifts are mentioned. In some cases, there's overlap. In some cases, there's not. So Paul has just given us seven gifts here. It's as though he says, here is an example of the ways in which you can serve. Serve where you're gifted. In other words, he says, if you're a teacher, then teach. If your gift is encouragement, then encourage. If you're a leader, then lead. In other words, whatever it is that you have been gifted with, that is what you're to do. So if you have the gift of leadership, don't come and volunteer for the music ministry. If you have the gift of encouragement, then don't volunteer to stand behind the camera. He's saying whatever your gift is needs to be matched with the ministry you have. Serve where you're gifted. That's how we serve in the body of Christ. I think of a writer named Dan Meyer who tells the story of an elderly woman in a town of which, with which Meyer was acquainted. She went to church one day, maybe a church like this, and heard a sermon something like this about service, about taking the gifts that God has used us, given us and using them to bless others, either in the church or in the world around us. And the preacher encouraged the members to become active in that way. And so she went home thinking, thinking, I'm retired. I, I don't have any gifts, really. I don't have abilities. What, what, what am I going to do? But somehow that stayed in her mind, and she just kept processing it and thinking it through. There must be something I can do. And then she began to remember, began to realize that often people had said to her, you know what? You have a very hospitable heart. Others said to, had said to her, you know, I think you have the gift of hospitality. People just feel so warmly welcomed in your presence. You're, you open your home. You must have the gift, gift of hospitality. And so this senior citizen, thinking that through, went out and bought a little stack of three-by-five cards. She lived very close to a large university. And she got to thinking, I remember when I was a university student, I remember, especially in those early days, how lonely I felt. And so she sat down with those three-by-five cards, and on those three-by-five cards she wrote, Are you homesick? If so, join me for tea at 4 p.m. And listed the days. And then she wrote her phone number and her address. If you're homesick, join me for tea. 4 p.m. She thought, not sure I have a gift, but people have said I have a hospitable heart, the gift of hospitality. So that's what she tried. At first, very little happened. No one showed up. She just kept putting out the cards. And then a student here and a student there and two or three here and four or five there. And they began to join her every week for tea. 
begin to experience a little taste, a little slice of home. Meyer writes that 10 years later, when that woman went to her rest in Jesus, at her funeral there were 80, 80, 80 honorary pallbearers, 80, every one of whom had been welcomed into her home and had been offered tea in the place of homesickness. She couldn't figure out, do I have a gift? I don't think I have one. And yet realizing, I like to open my home. I like to connect with people. She ministered where she was gifted. She served where her gift was. And so I ask you, every one of us has a gift of some kind, of some sort, and some have many gifts. Are you serving where you're gifted? Are you putting that to use? That may be the next step in your journey with Jesus. So how do we minister? First way, Paul says, is we minister where we're gifted. But secondly, he says, we minister humbly and wholeheartedly. Humbly and wholeheartedly. You really pick that up in the paraphrase the message done by Eugene Peterson of these verses that we read. So let me read you Peterson's rendering of this passage when he focuses on ministering where we're gifted. This is what he writes. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help, don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with a disadvantage, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. In other words, the way we minister is humbly and wholeheartedly seeking to engage with people, not controlling trolling them, seeking to bless them, not to lead and guide them in ways that are onerous and burdensome. We do it in a humble way with our whole heart because the truth is that kind of service not only affects the recipients of the service, it affects us. The late Carl Minniger, the eminent psychiatrist, was one day approached by someone and was asked the question in the terminology of his day by this person, was asked the question, Dr. Menninger, what do you recommend someone doing if they're about to have a nervous breakdown? What do you recommend that one do? What do you recommend that I do if I'm about to have a nervous breakdown? And Menninger responded this way. He said, here's what I recommend. Walk out your front door, close it, go across the tracks, Find someone in need and do everything you can to help them. I think Minniger understood humble and wholehearted service because he understood that not only does that make a difference for the person who is receiving that service, it makes a difference to you. It changes you. It develops in you a servant's heart, a willing heart a heart willing to engage with human need. So my question, do you have a servant's heart? 
Are you ready? ready? Are you willing, able to take the next step with Jesus? It just might be a step of service. Because the truth is, I am certain in a congregation this size, there are many who walked into church this morning realizing that your spiritual life has hit a plateau. You realize, I'm becoming stagnant. Truth is, I'm continuing to do what I know to do. I'm continuing to read Scripture. I'm continuing to pray. I'm going to church. I'm trying to connect. I'm trying to grow. But something is wrong because I'm not moving forward. I'm becoming a stagnant pool rather than a flowing stream. It just could be that the reason one stagnates is everything is coming in and nothing is going out. It could be that the very reality that would revitalize your spiritual life would be taking a step in service, serving others. Now, we can help you with that. If you have an interest in doing that here in this congregation, if you're a part of this body of Christ, you want to do it, we can help you. Go to the website and just click on the tab. Hit the menu and click on the tab that says volunteer and fill out that form. It will ask you questions about how and where you want to serve. We will do our very best to connect you in ways that serve. Or maybe you say, I don't want to go to the Internet. I'd rather do it in person. Then go to the Uconnect table, the Welcome Center in the lobby today. They will help you fill out the form. There are dozens and dozens of places that are available for service here in our church. Do you want to serve with the elderly? I had someone stop me after first service and say to me, tears in her eyes. My father is caring for his wife, my mother, who has Alzheimer's, and he gets to a point where he's just desperate for someone to listen, someone to just sit, talk. Are you willing to serve? Maybe it's with children. Vacation Bible school is coming up. We're desperately in need of volunteers who will come. All those kids who gathered up here for children's story this morning, there will be hundreds more like them. Five, six, seven hundred attend VBS here. We need volunteers. Maybe it is engaging with the little people in the kingdom of God. Outreach. We have outreach ministry after outreach ministry. Do you want to make a difference in a young person's life by tutoring them? Join Excel. Sit down week after week after month, and in some cases year after year. Make a difference in that young person's life. Or maybe you want music, or you want media, or you want something else. We can help connect you if you want to serve. But I am keenly aware that Jesus needs servants far beyond the boundaries of this church. He needs you, he needs me serving wherever it is that we find ourselves. Even though it may have nothing to do with church, it's your local charity, it's your community, it's your work. May I say something to our friends, our fellow church members who serve here in this institution, educationally or clinically, I am keenly aware of the service you give. The truth is, we have many people who have committed and dedicated their lives to this place because they believe in its purpose, the purpose to further the teaching and healing ministry of Jesus Christ. They have done that full well-knowing that they could walk across the street and hang up their own shingle and double or triple their income. <laughs> 
They could do that. But they have sold out on service here. Every day they serve, by the lives they touch, the patients they heal, the students they teach, that's service in the name of Jesus. It's just as legitimate and real as this service, and probably more so. We have many of you who are serving Jesus, but others who may need to take that step and say, I am willing. I am willing to serve him. I no longer be, want to be one who says, I'm above that or I'm beneath that. I don't want to say that anymore. I want to serve where I'm gifted, and I want to serve humbly and wholeheartedly. I would just ask you, if your spiritual life is stagnating, if you feel like it's not going anywhere, would you consider that the choice to serve may be exactly what is required to be revitalized by the Spirit of Jesus? Don't let today pass, this week pass, without making that choice. In fact, I actually want to pray for you to be haunted by a question that haunts me. It's a question that was articulated for this country by Martin Luther King Jr., a question that we cannot overlook. It was the day MLK said this, the most urgent, the most pressing question in life is this. What are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? Isn't it time to take the next step? The next step in service? Gracious God, haunt us with that question. Haunt us until we can give an answer that is humble, that is heartfelt, that matches how you have gifted us. Haunt us until we serve, just as the one who came not to be served, but to serve, and then to give his life as a ransom for us. Guide us. Bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.